I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Second Chance Podcast with me, your host, Raphael Rowe. This is episode 70 and my guest is Miles Harris, a.k.a. Bouncer. He's a content creator, sports and boxing promoter and an entrepreneur who served time in prison for robbery and drug offences. Wicked and Bad is the name of his sports management company. Interesting, right? At this point, I want to congratulate Miles for the for the success he's made of his life, despite the fact that his journey was like many poor and marginalised families from inner city council estates, difficult and challenging. That's not an excuse, it's a reality, but it shouldn't stop you wanting more or becoming more. And that's one of the drivers behind who Miles is today. Let me start then by by trying to figure out one thing that I've been trying to figure out as I've been following your movements over the last week or so. Um, and by following your movements, I'm not stalking you or behind you. I'm just right. So who is this guy? So I've got you down as Miles Harris. I've got you down as Bouncer. Bouncer played dirty, wicked and bad. So let's start there because each of those names obviously came from somewhere the first one being Miles was your birth name. Your parents give you that name because that's who they wanted you to be. But over the years, you've become different people. Yeah. So tell me first, what do you like to be called? Growing up, it was a lot of gangs and things like that. So it was Bouncer. That was my name, Bouncer. But I like to be called Miles now. I'm a bit, I'm older. I, I, yeah, I like to be called Miles. I don't mind, I don't mind being called Bouncer depending on what I'm, doing if it's like the whole wicked and bad stuff you can call me bouncer but if it's like going to like on a day-to-day i don't mind anyone calling me miles because that's what i would that's the transition that i want to get to where my name is miles like a lot of people just know me for that name so miles is your your birth name where, where did the name bouncer come from so the name bouncer come from when i was year seven year seven 
just joined secondary school, all boys school. I was always big. So um, my friends was like, oh, you're a bouncer. Your name's Bouncer. And that, and that was the nickname that, that just stuck to me, like Bouncer, Bouncer, Bouncer. Bouncer. Okay. And and what was school like? You mentioned school, all boys school. No doubt that was in South East London. Um, what, what was school like for you? I'm going to call you Miles, right? Because that's that's the guy that's in front of me today, Miles, yeah, yeah. right? Miles, yeah, yeah. School was, um, it was hard. I used to go to Stanley Tech for boys' school in South Norwood. All boys' school. Um, it was a bit rough. It was rough. The area that I was from was a bit rough. So it was hard. I'm dyslexic. Reading, writing, talking, not really my my favourite, like, so I was always that kid in school that was just causing nuisance. Did, did you know at such a young age that you were, you, you had dyslexia? Yeah, yeah, I knew I, like, I got diagnosed of being dyslexic and and I knew at a, long, at a young age of having dyslexia, like, I couldn't keep still. I wasn't really book smart. I didn't, like, my creativity came from drawing or selling selling sweets and donuts in school and making a killing of the whole school. Do you know what I mean? That was my creativity. It wasn't really... You found uh, a different hustle rather than the book and, and paper. But that's not a bad thing, is it? If it can be recognised, only in school these things are not recognised. They're seen as disruptive because you're not conforming. I like to think, Miles, that today if they if they see that kids have dyslexia, that they cater for that. Whereas I suppose in the past it was quite, well, that kid's disruptive. It's got something to do with their behaviour, home life, rather than uh, an ability challenge where, like you say, you, you you turned that ability into something else. So would you say that school was challenging or that they accommodated your your dyslexia? I would say that school was challenging, but I felt like I was a lot to blame as well because I was in school I was I didn't take it serious so it was like I didn't really want to learn I was in school I didn't really I was in class anything that was hard I didn't try I just wanted the easy way out so I reckon if I did ask for help I reckon they would have gave me because I'm a personality they would have definitely helped me more but I didn't it shouldn't take for you to ask for help, should it? It should be for the teachers, no. really, to, to recognise. But but it can be hard if, if you're a big guy, even as a young kid, and they've got 30 other kids in the class and you want to play the disruptive. It's hard for them to focus on the one kid, although sometimes that's who they should. So So what about your home life then? Because I suppose that is also instrumental when you're at school. What were your influences like at home? I mean, in terms of your parents or any siblings that you've got or might have who were encouraging you or not encouraging? What was that like? My mum was, you know, my mum my was there throughout 24-7 through thick and thin. So um, she always used to encourage me. She always used to try to take me off the school club. She always used to, do you know what I mean, uh, make sure I had the best um, education or make sure I didn't want for nothing. Um, my dad... At a young age, he was there. And then from like six, seven or something, a bit older than that, he kind of started going abroad and doing work and doing business. And I was seeing him less and less. And I think till like 11, 12, that's when he kind of built his family abroad. Do you know what I mean? So I think that caused a big impact on my future. 
your dad leaving you and your mum to your own devices um, when you were such a young man? Yeah, my mum and my dad split when I was a baby, but my dad was in my life until like 11, always, frequently. And then when he was he started um, going around the world, business, that's when, yeah, everything kind of went a bit left. Why? Why do you think that is, Miles? Because, like you say, your mum was a strong woman. She was trying to get you to to focus on the things that she wanted you to focus on. And no doubt she was trying to do her own thing as well, not just bring you up but live her life. Why do you think that you was unable to? And I, and, and I don't know where we're, we're walking through chronologically your, your kind of life to understand where you're at today. So at that young age, what was it that, that made you start to become, like you say, a little bit disruptive because your dad now disappeared more permanently? What was it that you think was your trigger? Maybe because I was always, they called me bouncer, but I was a lot fat. I was fat, huge. So I always used to get like picked on when I was young. That's just, when you're a kid, nine times out of 10, that's just what happens. You know what I mean? Especially if you have something wrong, like you have a weight problem or there's something that is stands out, you just get picked on. So um, I felt that my dad leaving and me going to all boys school, it was like, yeah, don't take no crap from no one. And, 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 it kind of, I started being around the wrong crowd of friends in the area, the wrong crowd in school. And then that's how things started escalating. And was that, was that your choice? Did you gravitate towards the wrong guys, the wrong crowd, because you wanted to be accepted, because you was overweight, because you were being picked on and you thought being in the right group would offer you some protection? Or is it because that group accepted you because they were all outcasts themselves? But I just felt like because I, I think I came to secondary school and I was fighting all the time and I was just causing havoc, I attracted the same like people. That's what I manifested. So we were just all causing havoc and it just escalated into gangs and et cetera. So I don't think it's because of um, my weight or whatnot. It's just like because I was putting out a lot of bad energy you mentioned gangs. What What's your definition of a gang? Because I spoke to many people. I've been accused of being a leader of a gang myself back in my youth. And, and people's definition of a gang can be one or two people. It could be 10 people. When you say gang, tell me what you mean. I say gang like 100 people. 100 people from an area were close. Um, we might have problems with rival areas. We might, we might have firearms on, on us. We might have bladed articles on us, we might fight all the time, we might graffiti, we might cause havoc. And that is like our definition of post-Cold War. And that post-Cold War gang life inevitably leads to one or two or three uh, uh, consequences, doesn't it? it you, you never kind of go on being a gang member when you're 25, 30, 45, you know, life has to stop. What, what was the consequence for you, if any, so basically the consequence for me, I just kept on going in and out of prison and bad karma kept on happening to me. Obviously, I've been stabbed numerous times. I've been shot at, do you know what I mean? So, and that was, it was never, it was always getting worse and worse and people obviously were passing away. People's dads were passing away and things like that. And it's all formed, that's all from being in the gang and being associated with people. So, um, yeah, it was it was serious growing up, but like most of my adult years, it was just either in and out of prison or 
coming out of prison and post-Cold War? Do you know what? I mean, you talk about it in a kind of blasé way, stab, shot at, crime, prison, all of us, that, but I'm not going to let you get away with it that easy, Mars, because what your experience um, tells me is that you can educate people, you can inform parents who might be able to find something, somebody listening to this could pick something off of what you said. So let, let's just unpick a little bit of that that period of your life because it's important in, in terms of, like I say, people educating themselves from your insight and experience, but also how you turn your life around because you're not involved in that as far as I know a- anymore. When was the first time you were arrested and what was that for? The first time I was arrested, I think I was like maybe 13 or something like that. And it was for criminal damage. I think shooting a pellet gun at a window and smash smash a window. So that was the first time I was re- arrested around that time. And that was for 13. And can you remember what the punishment was? Yeah, I got a caution. I got a caution. That was the punishment. I, I bet your mum wasn't pleased. I bet she did more than caution you. Yeah, I got beaten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what child didn't? And and that, but yeah, it goes one or two ways, doesn't it? You get that beating, and then you become resentful, or you get that beating, but it's not enough. It's not enough, and that's I think for me, I just became even worse. Yeah, it it, it it always starts with petty crime like that. I think the second one was shoplifting. Do you know what I mean? Theft. Eventually, it got more and more serious. Where a caution or a probation order or something slightly less closer to prison wasn't enough because you it's not that you think you're getting away with it it's just you're still living that life everybody's at it you want what it is that you want but there came a time where you 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 say you got stabbed tell me about the first time where you got stabbed yeah the first time I got stabbed it was literally on of a back of in my local area we did a get on with the um the yardies I had a one-on-one with one of them that couple of weeks before, and I, and I won, I beat him in a one-on-one. And then down the line, we saw them, they come off the bus. I think one of them punched me in my face and then walked off. And then, so I punched the other one and they all pulled out knives and they stabbed me, um, they stabbed me in my arm twice. But it hit like my tendon, I had to get my, I had to get operation and that. So I, I think I was about 15 or something, 15 years old. That's, that's happened. I remember my mum in hospital had operation and had to get my I was in hospital for a couple of days and I had to get my um obviously tendon sewn back up. But all now, up to this day, my, my hands got pins and needles still like now, pins and needles on it, just from being stabbed. And that's and that happened like like maybe like seventeen years ago. So at a young age going through that, being stabbed is like do you know what I mean? Then that's how things just escalate. And it's either you, you turn around to like, okay, I don't want I don't want none of this life, I wanna work and I'm done, or I just get revenge. And what was in your heart and mind at the time? It was revenge, I need to get revenge. Um yeah, these these guys have done this to me, I need to get revenge and being a, around the crowd of people that I was around. But I'm still around them crowd of people, but everyone's just changed their lives around now. So no one don't live like that no more. But being around the crowd of people, everyone was like, yeah, we need to get revenge. That was the first time you got stabbed. And we know because we see it every day, Miles, don't we? 14, 15, 16-year-olds stab and they lose their life and the pain. You you, you have a sense of this. I've had a sense of that. I've, I've experienced that. 
I've had nephews that experienced that where you're sitting by their bedside, they've been stabbed, mums crying their eyes at not knowing whether their kid's going to make it. You did, I did, they did, but there are lots of kids out there in and around London in particular, but outside of London, who are being stabbed and losing their lives at such a young age. You survived that. You seeked revenge. When was the first time you ended up going to prison? When I was 17. And what was that for? Conspiracy to rob a secure call van. 17 years old and you're looking at that kind of level of crime. Yeah. But you got caught. Tell me about it. Conspiracy to rob a secure call van. So as well as being involved in gangs, we used to get paid by robbing secure call boxes, running into the banks or running outside the banks. They come with their boxes, walk it into the bank, grab it. And that's what that's what we used to do. Sometimes armed, sometimes not. Me and a, obviously a group of friends, obviously the task force, flying squad, they, they, they started watching us and eventually over a period of years everyone that was in everyone that was involved in them robberies was served jail time for it and that's you so at 17 you would have gone to i don't know what year this was but you you would have gone to a young offenders institution yeah so at 17 i went to hmp ashfield went there hmp ashfield as soon as i went there a week later had a fight the fight escalated and then I got starred up to HMP Bristol, so uh, I went to adult prison. So I was only in young offenders for like a week, and then they starred me up and said that this guy, he came to the prison, he caused uh, like a riot, a mini riot in the prison, and everyone that was involved had to move. And I, I went to adult job. At 18 years old, 17, 18 year, years old. So prison didn't do what prison was supposed to do for you, Miles. It's supposed to be a place that, you know, you go for punishment. So at this age, even when you got there, you felt there was a need to still play the bad boy or whatever it was. You tell me why. Why, when you went to prison, didn't you, you know, kind of curl up in a corner like they, they think people do? Yeah. I was just lost. I think at that age, it's just like, wow, I'm in prison, but this is fun. Whatever, well, we don't, it, it's whatever that, cool, I'm in jail for this. I'm looking at a few years. It didn't really hit me that, yeah, like I'm looking at years, but it's like, oh, yeah, my friend's over in that way. My friend's over in that unit. My friend's over in that unit. Yeah, whatever, man. Wake up in the morning. This is whatever. It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy to even think like that, but. I suppose, what, what is it that people need to understand? Because people will think, you know, people who don't live that life, people who don't grow up on the streets, people who don't have friends around them that know nothing but criminality or know nothing but but crime or, or playing a bad boy or whatever it is. But when, when that's all you have, that's all. It's not so much that individuals are mentoring you. It's just the lifestyle, isn't it? It's the hustle and bustle of getting through because you're not exposed to the things that we're exposed to as adults, like bills and stuff like that, different kinds of ways of having to survive. What, what was it that made you so lost? Because that's how you described it. You said, I was lost. Why, why was you lost? Because you have this mother it was trying to get you to do things in the right way, but you weren't listening to her. You were listening to your own thoughts about doing the things you were doing. I think I was just too in deep with my crowd of friends and just living that reputation, fake life, where even though there was no social media, then your reputation was still travelled around London for the stuff that you've done maybe, or the fights that you had. Do you know what I mean? And that's, that was... Yeah, and just things just 
escalated and I felt like I was just lost as a child of I didn't have no hobbies I didn't I didn't like anything all I knew was selling drugs robbing people gang violence etc how many times did you end up going to prison three times three big three, three separate sentences so the first one was when you were 17 for this conspiracy to rob what were the other two times so first one was conspiracy to rob the second one was Possession with intent to supply, and the third time was conspiracy to rob and possession with intent to supply. And so, in total, how much time did you spend inside over these three sentences? Like nine years, nine months. That's how much time you spent locked up between what age? So, 17 and what age? 17, 2007, I got four years due to. Come out, I came out 2009, I done my two years, I was out for nine months. Then I got 45 months, but I ended up doing two years, two months, because I had some license recall to do. And then I, I was released. I went back to jail 2010, I was released 2012, March. Then I was out for five months, and then I got um, 11 years to half for the um, conspiracy to supply and, and rob. And I ended up, and I was released in 2018, um, March. So, yeah, and I'd done five-year, six months from that 11-year sentence. So so you've only been out of prison since 2007, although you've been in and out. You've been out now, what, just over three years, four years, 22 we're in, right? Four four years in March, I would have done out of prison. Four years in in March. And, And in all those prison sentences, Miles... Did it make you think differently? Obviously, the first and second time didn't because you went back, you know. So whatever you were doing, you came out and you carried on doing. So it didn't have the impact prison is supposed to have, you know, changing your life, creating a new opportunity or just giving you time to reflect and think about the consequences of your action and the pain you're causing people. Did prison, did did any of those sentences make you think differently at all? Yeah, the the last one, um, I knew enough was enough. I was I was having a um, a daughter was was on the way, my daughter got sickle cell, so I just knew like now enough is enough time to fix up. So I done a mediation course in jail, and I started trying to work um, with the jail, and like become like a mediation to try to keep the violent the violence and the gang and stuff in the prison down. So after doing that, um, my work people obviously they they, they saw the, the brilliant work that I done and how close I was with the younger lot. So that's that's what made a big change. And then obviously progression to open prison and getting a job and learning how to work with customers, learning how to upsell and being, and just looking forward to my paycheck and paying my taxes. Do you know what I mean? So that was like a big turning point for me, like getting up in the morning, driving to work. Um, at first I was working for Timpson, so they trained me up, they trained me, made me work with someone and then they gave me my own shop and then from having my own shop I was my own manager I had to do my own books the secure code van came I had to put the money in the secure code box <laughs> and I'm in prison for that do you know what I mean and just that alone made it think wow I've come a long way and then closing up the shop making sure all the money is safe and safe in the safe so yeah that was the turning point, open prison, open job, re- rehabilitation, mediation course, and just looking at 
and my daughter and looking at life like yeah, um, enough is enough. Incredible. I mean, I know James Timpson. I know what Timpson have done for many uh, prisoners coming out. Um, and, and we all know. It. And if you don't, we're talking about the Timpsons key cutting shoe fixing kind of places that you find in many, many locations. And I've seen a picture of you in your pretty Timpson shirt doing some work, you know, promotional stuff. But that is a big leap. And I think we can't leap over the fact that during that time in prison, you found a purpose. One, because now you have a daughter, you have a responsibility and you took that serious. But how was you able to get past what the other guys would be thinking? Because, you know, there's always those guys who try and pull you back when you want to change direction. How did you get past that? I'm still going through it now. I'm going through it now at the moment. So it's it's our community is where I've come from. It's very hard because... I'm changing my life. I'm I'm cracking on, and I have so much people wanting to pull me back. And a lot, a lot of it's from our community. You know what I mean? It's it's from our. our so it's just when I was in prison, I I learned this decision making. You know what I mean? And and I still go. I still think my actions before moving on. And and people would love to for me to be on their level because they have nothing going on for them. So even going to events or whatnot, I always look at the risk factor because I'm an ex-gang member where people, some people, um, even though I've changed my life, some people haven't changed their life. So so they, they still could be after me, do you know what I mean? Just from stuff that's happened years ago. So I always just make sure I look at who I'm going to be around or who's going to be there or what kind of people that I'm going to see. But yeah, it's very hard. Right now it's very hard. I'm just trying to, I'm still currently on license. So I'm just trying to get my license over and then um, live abroad, man. Come back and forth, live abroad. And, and, and yeah. Under uh, under the license, you can't travel abroad, can you, without permission? So at the moment you're stuck here. I'm stuck here at the moment. So without permission, like I, I know if I have like, something to do for work probation will let me fly obviously I just have to provide all the information but this is like my last full year on license thank god so but once but over here it's just so it's crazy it's crazy with like people like as soon as you're doing well they just want to bring you down but you mustn't let them and the important thing here is how much of that change in direction while you were in prison is down to yourself? Or was there someone in particular or some people in particular who made you see that you could be more than this individual who is a criminal and has a reputation for violence? And, you know, was it you, Miles? Did you make that decision in that cell on your own or at some point you said, you know what, I mean, I know you said that your daughter was instrumental, you had a responsibility and you said enough was enough, but was it that deep inner feeling that you found for yourself or was it someone sort of saying, look, I can show you a different way? It was, my mum always used to say that, always, my mum, always, every visit she says that, but it was me, like enough is enough, it was only me that was like, now enough is enough. I have to do this. There's no getting sidetracked. I have to change or I'm going to be going in and out of prison all my life or I'm going to end up dead. So, yeah. And you made that decision and and, and the beginning of the journey was being trained by a, a, a company like Timpson so that you started to see things can be done legitimate. And I love the story that 
that you once were robbing secure cool vans and all of a sudden you're now giving them the money and taking some pride in that. that that's a good thing, actually. And I know how difficult it is to sort of keep going forward when you have people grabbing hold of you and trying to bring you back. What What is concerning, and I'd be interested to know what you think, is like you said, you know, you're four years out of that situation, but there are still people who maybe don't forget what you was like or want to bring you down. And given that you still live in the same situation, because I often think when when you come out of prison or you come out of that lifestyle, but you're still in the same setting, everybody around you is the same. And if they haven't moved on, they look at you and they think, well, who do you think you are? Or what do you think you're doing? I know because I've been through that journey 20 years ago. You know, people listen to me now and they think, hold on a minute, that's not the Raf we knew who was on the street doing the things that he was doing. Yeah, exactly. I'm not the Raf you knew. I've moved on. I'm 20 years out of jail and I'm, you know, living a completely different life. And and I've taken that career. So how do you how do you bounce off of those guys where you don't offend them so that they think because they know what you were like, but at the same time, you sort of I don't know, you tell me, Mars. I mean, life moves on. You're you're living it four years. I moved out of it twenty years ago. So I'm far away enough from it now not to think about it anymore. How do you do it? To be honest, I, I have like a we can learn by platform. I put out content. I'm a content creator. I hang around with content creators. I don't hang around with them sort of people no more, so they can't bring me back. I don't care about what's going on in the, the hood gossip. It don't have no relevance to me. I don't, I'm not, I don't care who's arguing with who. I don't care who's had a punch-up or who's been shot. That's not. So I, my thing is always making sure you're around the energy and positive energy and what you're trying to achieve. And if, if I hang out with um, people that talk about cameras, what cameras they have and how well it is, and they argue about who's what, do you know what I mean? And that's the people that I, I hang around with, do you know what I mean? Uh, so it's just about, and that's what's kept me from like, from all the mix-up. And then if, if someone else, if I hear someone's talking about me, what I, I understand more, now because I'm in a position and people can't believe how's this guy done 10 years in prison come out four years and he's achieved what he's achieved in a short period of time you know what I mean and and I just I'm religious so I just believe that God um, has my back and I just keep on um, creating opportunities and trying to like um, do you know what I mean I, I, I receive that back from the blessings of God in it so what opportunities and whoever I, lives are, I try to add value to I know our God's protecting me. Let's get to that then, because you come out of jail last time, you're working for Timpsons, but you didn't sort of settle there. You didn't, you know, settle down in there and just continue to prepare people's or repair people's shoes or cut keys. But it was a springboard. It was an opportunity for you to see that there is another way to life. There is a working way. And and I like the fact that you said you look forward to getting your wage check, you know, as opposed to nicking somebody else's. So tell me how the journey went from coming out of prison, working for Timpsons to the next stage. You said you become the manager of the own shop, but you're not at Timpsons anymore. You've gone on to develop quite a successful platform for yourself. Talk me a little bit about what happened after Timpsons. So while I, while I was at Timpsons, I was um, setting up a, in prison, I was setting up a events company um, called Headline Entertainment. So what that events company would do is we'll book artists from the UK in, um, for uni events and they'll go to Southampton, Brighton, 
etc. And 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 they'll perform. So whilst I was in prison, I had my phone and I would be booking artists. And 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 on my homies, I will be doing the events and be posting up flyers and posters and trying to get the events sold out. So I, I went into events management. So I started trying to understand the music side, the music business of. I went really wanted to be a music artist. So I done events management, but I felt like when I come out when I come out of prison properly, I can pursue the music artist, music music management side of things. So I learned a lot from putting on events. What is the best months? I took a few losses from events. I made money from events. So I learned and I built relationships with the artist management, the artists. So when I did do the transition into being the artist manager. I already had um, the contacts in my phone book. I already had the um, booking agents um, already. I was already in a relationship with them. So um, all I needed to do was find an artist. And that was kind of the transition. So even though Timpsons was amazing and I see everything that they've done, I see all the stores that they've done. And in my head, I'm like, if Timpsons can make such a massive empire, I can build and make something for myself. And I'm sure if everything went wrong now, I could probably reach out to Timpsons and they'll probably give me a job now. Do you know what I mean? They'll probably give me a job now because what the stuff that I've seen them done and the support, even when it was COVID, even their pay, do you know what I mean? They, they, they're they great people. And that was for me. I never really wanted it to depend on working or depending on the paycheck. I always wanted to um, like work for myself. And, and, and the world is your oyster, do you know what I mean? The world is your oyster. Get up, work hard, be consistent, put out content, give it to the universe and see what comes from it. And then once and then whatever comes from it, just knowing how to structure, being creative. So yeah, from then I started managing an artist. He was a drill artist. And this is I came into the music scene when they said drill will never chart in the music charts, it will never do anything. But I didn't know what music charts meant anyway. I just wanted to be a manager, so it was no pressure on 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 us. We were just putting out music and being creative. And then after like six months, Drill charted the top twenty independent single. We broke a record, the first ever uh, UK Drill song to chart top twenty Air Force. But I did that. Do you know what I mean? With the remix being Krypton Conan and K Trap. So that was a mad achievement for myself because we made history and then I, I started building a lot of relationships in the music scene and I started, um, like, we started, me and the artists that I was working with, we started making the right songs and we made, and we, and we done some amazing things for the scene now and now you've got drill songs that are going number one. It's such a breakthrough, isn't it? But with success comes conflict. There's always conflict with success, you know, because I don't know how... Um, and it depends on the type of success. It depends on the the individuals and the culture and the scene. Um, where did that lead to then? I mean, are you still managing music artists or did that move into a different space for you? Because that was your springboard, again, Timpsons, to this events management, events management to artist management, you know, creating history by breaking down the barriers to allow drill music which people see in a negative light, you know, it still gets negative publicity, but you broke through with that and now others are, are becoming successful because of that barrier breakdown. Where where did it lead to? I felt like it led, so from doing that and making so much noise, a lot of jealousy came through. So a lot of people started whispering in my artist's ear 
And then one day my artist just didn't want to work with me. Do you know what I mean? It, it was like, when I was like 14 or 15, one of my friends passed away, he died. He got killed, yeah. And I wasn't, I wasn't on the roads or, this is just before I was even in gangs or on the roads, but one of my school friends passed away. And I said something to the police that obviously, um, that people class as, oh, you, you, you're grass. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't even there. Um, when my friend passed away, um, I didn't go court to testify. There was no signed statement, but I said something to the police that was not ever meant to be, it was not used. Do you know what I mean? And cause I was doing so well, people pulled that up when I was 14. And then when I came out, they was like, yeah, this guy's a rat. He's a rat. He's a rat. Just don't be around this guy. Don't be around this guy. So it was more pressure on the artists or people that was working with me and they whispered in people's ear, like, my man's done this, that, that. Because I, I, I didn't address it. I did. I just left it. I didn't address it until last year. So people just come with their own stories. Oh, yeah, he went to court. He he done. He was behind the screen, which wasn't true. Do you know what I mean? And, and I feel like that maybe gave pressure on the people that I was working with or the person that I was working with saying that, listen, I don't want you to work work with you no I don't want you to work with me no more and I gave this, I got this artist like just under a million pound deal so there was no management agreement so that he still had money to give give me and it was six it was six figures and he didn't give it to me you know what I mean so things like that it, it, it kind of brought me back to square one I became like homeless again sleeping on my mum's sofa the internet was so happy that happened, you know what I mean? And and I just had to build back and just crack on and and and, and I built back and cracked on and then we made history again with Wicked and Bad. But then the same thing happened again. <laughs> it happened again with 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 um, one of my uh, personalities that I was looking after, Little Man, and and all of that that happened where people was just like I've, the guys in prison. I've, I've made them go viral. I've supported him. He's living up at my house you don't want for nothing I've, I've built him up I've been trying to teach him to be a, a man before that he was going in and out of prison his family was like good luck with him and then I got him I, I made people I didn't want him to do no funny stuff because he's a dwarf I didn't want people to look at dwarfs like oh they're always doing some um, clowny stuff so he became a boxer we, we got him to become a boxer we made history being the most unlicensed pay-per-view streamed fight and then what happened again? People started getting in these air. So it's like as soon as the fame comes, because at first when everything's starting, everything's fine. As soon as the fame start, comes, people start getting into the air. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, this guy's doing this to you. This guy's doing that to you. I can prove everything. And then it's like, and then all of a sudden, it's like he's gone on, in, he's gone on a, a podcast. And then he's just like, yo, like he took 50% off me. He owns the trademarks on my name. Um, I can't read and write. So he tried to pull that whole vulnerability card when it was like the trademarks of your name, I, I own them, but it's, they're about to get transferred to you because just to keep your trademarks safe. I built your Instagram before you come out of prison. Your Instagram's got over half a million followers. Technically, 
that's my Instagram, but I handed it over to you straight away. So why would you? And then the fifty percent you didn't make when you when you become such an internet sensation, sensation. No brands want to work with you. JD Sports and these brands, no face JD Sports. They will They don't want to work with someone that's gone viral for being in a negative place, and people don't understand that. So you you had no brand sponsored deals. Everything that we made, everything that we worked on. I had to invest in and you never you didn't make no money for me to take 50% of your money the, the idea was just like look me and you I can't visit you this is that look me and you I invest in you I invest in the business we go 50-50s at first everything was amazing you're in prison I invest in the business we go 50-50 you get you get an agreement everyone that gets an agreement you send it to your lawyer or you get someone else to look at it that's just what happens I don't no music, no record label will send you something, and I'll sign, sign it straight away. You just that's just what you do. So the internet just came at me. They just attacked me. You know what I mean? Whatever he said, it was like forget about the stuff that you've seen with everything that I've done with Little Man. Just whatever he said is like they just attacked me, and it kind of affected my mental health a lot because of. I done what I done with Dig That. I done what I done with Little Man, and I genuinely see them both as family. I genuinely see them both as family, and then it's like you've you've, you've let people in, and you focused on them. You've got them to a level, and then they've done that. So it just closed me off in it, and it just made me just think, you know what? Now I just need to focus on the business, the the brand. I need to focus on if I'm gonna do business with someone, it has to be for something that I own. And then that brand can because I can't I can't do myself over and it just made me not want to work with people or develop music artists or work with of personalities no more because it's like I need to protect myself in it and 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 loads of people every day they're like oh yes work and it's like that's what's made me not want to work with anyone. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because I I, I don't. I work in the creative industry, but as a journalist, as a presenter who, who, you know, immediately, you know, after 12 years in prison for murder and robberies that I didn't commit, I come out and I fell into a space which was alien to me. You know, trust me. I mean, remember, I'm 12 years in jail, maximum security prison, most of that in isolation. I've got the prison slang and then I'm southeast London. I'm coming out and that's how I talk. We're talking twenty years on. My vocabulary, my narrative, my my terminologies now are twenty years changing. Twenty years in the changing, you know. Trust me, Miles. When I first came out, I'm working for the BBC, and they couldn't understand a word I'm saying. Not because I'm speaking a foreign language, simply because I'm prison slang, and I'm Southeast London. But over the years, I developed myself. What's interesting is in that space. There is a toxicity, if that's the right word, where people despise me because who the fuck is this, you know, little brown boy with dreadlocks working on the most prestigious BBC programs when I've spent my whole career going to universities. He, he's fresh out of jail and he's getting opportunities I'm not getting. So there was that kind of toxic kind of atmosphere around me. But, you know, water off a duck's back, as they say, because I'm selfish. I'm going on this journey of being a success now and not letting anything hold me back in your industry it's it's a hard one isn't it because I suppose most of the talent most of the business is centered around people who are off of the streets I mean unless you're working in the I don't know the the industry where 
it's the other side of it. You know, you're negotiating contracts. And so your world is is toxic. So I hear what you say when you say you're moving away from the artist, concentrating on the business and the artist come to the business and not to you as an individual. So you went from working with Big That Little Man and, and created um, the Wicked and Bad brand. What is the Wicked and Bad brand then? So Wicked and Bad is a sports management production entertainment agency so basically we put on influencer fights we put on boxing fights we put mma fights and we just get it's for our culture so it's more down like it's boxing it's mma people will attend the fights and they'll watch maybe their favorite celebrity have a boxing match or someone that we've built up from social media have a boxing match people um, will enjoy the night there might be live performances there might be a podcast in between there might be spoken words so I just wanted to put that create that wide as a whole entertainment thing and this year I've just been working pushing the brand pushing the brand building up the the, the, the supporters the listeners so every Sunday we do live boxing live boxing on on, on Instagram where we're getting 80,000 viewers on, on Insta Live like, so you, yes. you you actually have boxing matches live on Instagram? Yeah, people have boxing matches. Like yes, so yesterday we had a boxing match. We had fifty five thousand people watch it just on Instagram live. This week we're going to have a boxing match. We'll probably have the same numbers, or we will probably have sixty thousand people or a hundred thousand people. So now it's actually a big thing. But my thought process behind that is because I have Wicked and Bad platform, and we have a, we got a fight in May. Them viewers as our core viewers for Weekend and Bad, didn't it? And that's what we're trying to build. That we, for when we have our viewers and our supporters, and we know how to develop boxes and entertainment, then that's what makes a successful event because we have the viewers, we have the production, we have the fighters, and it's just marketing. So you need to get is if I'm hearing you right, you need to get that viewing audience into a stadium of some kind or an event where they can watch live they can watch pay-per-view mm. sky and all that they probably got that marketed cornered haven't they you know with the big boxing promoters the herns of the world and whatnot i don't know but your model seems to be slightly different or are you working with them so we still so when it comes to the proper event so we do the sunday ones as for the for for our people for the community for the culture to watch. But once it comes to a pop-up event, people will probably spend nine ninety nine to buy a pay-per-view ticket to watch that event for the big, big show. And then we'll go back to doing Sunday, um, nothing too serious ones. I've seen some of the um, the videos where you're promoting some of these guys. They look ruthless, man. And they, uh, but, but why are they not in? I mean, they look like they could take on. There's one guy I saw the other day. Remind me of Mike Tyson. He kind of moved around and he's got that body yeah, yeah. of time. I'm, I'm from the Tyson era, you know, the Eubanks kind. I'm not a big boxing fan, but I used to be. I used to be a big fan when Eubanks and Ben and all those guys, Tyson was sort of in the ring, you know, that's my era. So I used to watch these guys and they were brutal and they were real. Um, and there's one guy I saw in your video. And then I saw some other stuff. You explain it to me, right? So I'm not, I don't know who you are, what you do in your life. And then I hear about you and I say, yeah, I'd like to get this guy on my podcast. I'd like to have a conversation. He's a fellow Southeast Londoner. He's been through a certain path. He's a bit younger than me, but he's been through that same journey. And then I see your Instagram post and I know what you're doing. I know exactly what you're doing in terms of promoting yourself, using that as a platform. And then I see these videos and, and being from the old kind of, 
generation, a slightly older generation. I see all this money around you and I see all this, you know, cars and stuff. And I think to myself, is this guy for real? I mean, is he exposing himself? Is, is he big and bad enough to protect that? I, I just wonder if it's the right thing. Why does why does people do that? I can see it when it's kind of, I don't know, does it send out the right or wrong message? What's your thinking, Miles? I think it don't send out the right message. It sends out the wrong message. But you see neg- neg- negativity or things like that, it travels further. Our argument will travel further. further. If I posted that like, I have an energy drink, I said, oh, yeah, we sold 100,000 cases in the week. It's not traveling. The blog pages don't want to hear that. The blog pages wants to see controversy. And with me, what you see on Instagram, that's not me. That's not Miles. That's just bouts that play dirty. And that's just, that is my, that's another personality, another character of, of, but if you actually met me in real life and sat down with me or had a conversation with me, they'll be like, I met Miles and he's a lovely person. But the stuff that you see, the stunts or the stuff that you see on social media is 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 literally is literally um just for entertainment pur- purposes. Do you know what I mean? It, it's like an argument will happen. It's it's just for en- entertainment pur- purposes. Literally, is that not dangerous though? I mean, I, I I get it. I know what it is. I know it's all propaganda and promotional stuff. But do you not get more people? You know, the haters, the people who think you you know flashing the cash, you know, showing off what he's got, and then they want that, or they they think that you're. I can see, and most people probably do see that you're not being boastful. You're just riding that ride, and it's the right thing, right? The right thing to do. But how how close is that to the world that you're trying to leave behind? You know, this negative world of criminality, and it's close. It's close because it's like. People see that and people want to rob you. And I do look at this speech. I was speaking to my business partner, Albie, and I was saying, look, I know it's not good to keep on posting cash or money because people that don't have or are not in that position, they won't, they won't get, some people don't have business mindset or get what the vision that we're trying to do. So that's where hate or, do you know what I mean? That's where negative comments or hate will come with, do you know what I mean? So I understand that. But, do you know what it is? What I, what I've just clocked. It's just a hard one. It's, it's it's a hard one because all of that stuff sells, isn't it? That's what people want to see. And if you do boring stuff, no one don't want to see it. So it's like no one don't want to see it as the, where I've come from. No one wants to see it. Maybe as my platform is growing now, I don't have to do as much stuff like that. I can just speak and just be like, yo, this is this because they know all the stuff that I've worked on. And they'd be like, yeah, this guy, he's worked on this project, he's worked on this project. Yeah, we take it, he, he's, he's, his word holds more value. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there there is, I, I get it, and most people do get it. But it, when you have a, a, a background like yours, you know, former armed robber, done time in prison, violence, and then there's this whole kind of, and I get it because bouncer is bouncer, which is why at the beginning of this conversation, I wanted to know who I'm talking to. Am I talking to the entertainer? Am I talking to Miles, the kid that whose mum gave him that name and has been supportive throughout? And I think that's Miles that I've been talking to, you know, the the good Miles as opposed to the Miles once before and, and the persona that you have on on Instagram. But it's always a worry, isn't it? That I say it's a worry in that connection that people still, when they look at that, they think bad boy, money, lifestyle, 
but but there is also I think I love what you're doing I love that you're trying to turn all the negativity into a positivity by using the negativity if if that makes sense it sounds like what you've been doing even though you've had these hiccups with some of the artists along the way it's and you've had you you openly admit that you've had some you know sort of stress issues mental health issues I mean how bad did it get I mean because you've bounced back again uh, you've come through those moments. I mean, how tough does it get for you at times? Well, I'll be honest with you, innit? This is I I ain't said this to no one before, innit? And I'll never do it. But I was feeling suicidal. You know what I'm saying? I was feeling suicidal. I didn't want to be here no more. Obviously, I'll never do that. But with me, all I do, my attentions is pure. So all everyone who I try to do is give man man's heart, my, the full 100. And for people to whispering people's ear and for people not to see that it kind of it hurt me a lot it hurt me a lot I can't lie because it's like that's why I will never ever do something for people like that just for my own sanity for my own self in it so I don't end up having a breakdown or whatever because I know with people they're they're happy to see that and with me is I will bounce back from anything because I'm determined and I know how to I just know how to do that I'm creative but what hurts the most is when you're um, you take time out and you help people that you class as family, and then they just go on like you didn't do anything. Do you know what I mean? And then, but obviously, God is God. God. God is the best of planners because what happens down the line is when they realize how much you did do for them when they release music and their music's not connecting how it used to connect, or when. Do you know what I mean? They they drop they release content and they're not getting the support of that the people that used to support them because you you need a team and in a team you need if I if I'm a creative or if I'm if I'm the talent and I've got my manager or my business partner that has contacts to blogging pages with millions of followers that page that page that page and we need all these content posted out we need to work together. Do you know what I mean? So when they realize hold on, no one's not really supporting my stuff no more. They'll realise, actually, Bouncer, he actually, he, he, really, he really was there for me. I don't know why I've done that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's that cliche, isn't it? You never know what you've got until it's gone. And it sounds to me like you're trying to, to bring the right, the right mindset of people around you in order to pursue your ambitions. And and I've got to say thank you for being man enough to sit there and sort of say you've been through some dark times, not just financially, not just prison, but within yourself. And it takes a big man to admit those things. Like you said, you felt suicidal, but then you saw the positive out of the negative and you've used that and continue to use that. And it would be a great loss for a man like you to to be thinking in that way, because like you say, you've helped yourself, you've gone through a journey. And even if that just means sharing your story inspires other people, Miles or Bouncer, whoever you want to be, your story in many different ways. You know, you've got the war wounds, the stab marks, you've got the the, the memories of being in prison. You, you know what it's like to be successful, to turn a negative into a positive. So there are many things that you have that can inspire other young black guys or white guys or girls out there who maybe don't have the mentors or the people that they can listen to because I'm 20 years down the line, me trying to convince guys today works because I've been through a journey, but you're closer to it today than I am ever because I've 
20 years, you've got four years after jail or or whatever. And sometimes your message is going to be a lot louder and you're still in the scene. So whatever you think, whatever you go through, you are definitely an inspiration to a lot of people you know that the self. And you have the talent. You have the talent to do what it is that you're doing. You're promoting people. You've got ambition. So so what's next then? You've got the, the Wicked and Bad brand and you're working in, if I see that you've got this energy drink, I saw a video of it being produ- produced and it's impressive actually. I mean, how good is the brand at the moment? Is it going in the right direction? Yeah, it's going in the right direction. There is hard work to be done with the brand like, in terms of between me and my business partner, but I'm doing so much. I'm creating a wicked, I'm doing a quick, yesterday I was in Birmingham um, auditioning for the Wicked and Bad Contender series. So where we give opportunities, we have 32 fighters, we have two coaches, they do challenges, each team, and they get to fight each other from each team, they get eliminated, and then they win a cash price of 10K um, each weight category and a free fight contract for Wicked and Bad. So now I'm going into the boxing world, but I'm going into building up our Wicked and Bad roster so but in order to do that i have to in i have to break it down and i have to get the viewers to know who's this boxer where he where he's from is he's a is he's been to uni if he's from cambridge if, if if this one's from the hood if he just come out of prison i have to build up their characters do you know what i mean i have to build up for people to be like, I want this person to win, I want this person to win. So it's very, I have to structure it. And it's exciting because obviously it's the first uh, series um, in the UK that is like, we're actually doing it like in the UK. And um, we started with heavyweights and light heavyweights. And then with the Wicked and Bad Energy Drink, obviously we have, we're in talks with 500 off licenses at the moment of getting a wicked and bad energy drink in the off licenses. And it's just about promoting that with that and making it all, making the, raising awareness of the energy drinks. So making sure the viewers that was on Insta Live know about the energy drink, people, they start seeing it, they start seeing it and start buying it. And then, then that's, um, so I'm trying to build my own ecosystem where that promotes that, 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 that. And, and then, then we can, work on bigger um, campaigns because a lot of it's everything to do with capital in it and investment and, and stuff costs a lot of money. And, and that's the next question, isn't it? Because in order to achieve your, your, your dreams, your ambitions or, or to keep your success going, you're right. It does require, especially if you're doing it yourself, finances. So do you have external finance or are you having to do this yourself? Because that makes it all the more riskier, doesn't it? I mean, you don't have to share that with the audience if you don't want to, but it's just, you know, how much pressure does that put you under in order for your, if you're having to finance these contestant programs and projects, people need to know that, that you're investing yeah. somebody else's money. So if it- my money. I invest my own money, um, my business partner will invest the company money. Um, every time we make profit, it goes in. We've never ever spent a penny of pers- that for personal use. It's always going in the business to create to make the bigger business bigger so in the next three four years until it's right we don't take no money out you know what i mean we just reinvest 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 and when the time's right we will sit down with the right investors that can add partner up with the right people and then then we'll go from there but at the moment there's um 
a lot of what because we always do everything at a good um, production, amazing production. We do it at a good um, level. They all, people always compare us with the Eddie Hearns or the Frank Warrens or the Dana Whites. So there's like, don't compare us with them. We're just, we're just very, this is our second, this is Wicked Bad 2, we're about to do Wicked Bad 3. So you might see things that we could improve on. And thank you for um, highlighting that. But don't compare us with the USC because the USC is the USC, multi billion pound company. And where, where we are just starting up, but it's, it's good to um, know that. They, they see us at a sort of level and people won't understand the stuff that I'm doing at the moment until when that crossover happens and they'll be like, okay, boom, we get it now. This is what he's always been trying to do and now he's here in it and it's, and, and it's happening. And that's the positive message, isn't it? And what's your ultimate goal, Miles? I mean, I mean, obviously you want these individual projects to be a success and for them to pay for themselves. And you're bringing people along at the same time, you know, making those names that nobody is aware of more, more familiar in their space, in their sport. But what's your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is I want the youth here to have, I have 11 year olds, 12 year olds that follow me. So I'm very mindful with the stuff that I post on Snapchat and, and Instagram because I have them and I want them to know that when I'm working with more charities, it's like put down the knives and just have a boxing or just join a boxing club and box because the olden days it was just having a straightener and shake hands or just go about our business. And I don't want to promote violence, but the kids has got big machetes. So we need to lower that and try to make these 11, 12, our next generation think different if they have a conflict. And down the line, they could just, it could not be that. But that's my, that's the stuff that I want to, I want to achieve. Do you know what I mean? I want to do a lot of, um, I want to do a lot of charity work. You know what I mean? Once my business is built to a level, we're, we're raising for money for charity every, every boxing Every boxing show, we've raised money for this charity and that charity, and we're doing campaigns and we're doing documentaries for charities, and and going to pri- going to prisons to talk, going to schools to talk about my life. So down the line, obviously releasing a book, etc. So that's like my end goal. Like just this, I'm not I'm not in in competition with no one. I'm just in my own lane, and I'm just cracking on with it. And that's good. I like the way you say that, actually. But you and I know how tough it is. You remember when you were 15, 16 years old and there was no one in that lane trying to take you out of it and push you on. So your mum, of course, because our mums are always there, sometimes our dads as well. But, you know, there was no one in your life at that time. So at least you've got an insight. What I find that the most difficult thing when you're trying to divert these young kids away from knife crime or from violence or from criminality, you try to think, what what is it someone could have done when I was 15, 16 years old going down this wrong path that would have put me on the on the right path? You know, there was no mentors. You know, I'm talking when I was a kid, you know, I used to watch Conte on Muhammad Ali box and then go down into the porch and the block of my flats and shadow box the thin air, you know, thinking I was Muhammad Ali or or Conte or, or, you know, a footballer of some other generation that didn't make the kind of money that the Raheem Sterlings and, and whatnot make today. These are ballers who, you know, you saw them on television, but they didn't have anything and still don't because they were of a completely different era. But they were my mentors on television, but they were unreachable in the way that 
a lot of superstars are reachable through social media. And so you've recognized that yet you can connect with with the youth and young people um, and you can influence the way they think and behave all, all the time. Um, so good for that. And, and, and I wish you all the best with that. How can I ask a personal question? How is your relationship with your little girl? Yes, we're very close, man. We're close. We, um, yeah, we're so close. She's so talented, so um, intelligent, and we're just yeah, we're very close. So my relationship is that. That's what it keeps keeps me going. It's nice, isn't it? Because I'm just thinking back to you saying your your dad, your old man, leaving when you were young, and how quickly that changed your direction and your behaviour. And so you recognise as most dads should recognise, if you've been through that experience, don't repeat it, man. You've got to break the cycle. And it goes for girls just as much as it does boys. Miles, thank you so much for sharing your your story, man. And, and you, taking man. me... I've been watching all your, um, your, Netflix, your Netflix series. That, that's, that, that's proper. So, yeah, man, that... that thank you though thank you man it's, it's been a, like a blessing even to be on your podcast and you're doing amazing stuff as well man so. thank you well together we make a difference don't we we've now linked up i'm sure there can be some collaboration this is already one collaboration you know you sharing your story i'm here talking to you the, the one thing that strikes me as we've had this conversation you're quite a serious guy, right? You, 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 you have a focus. I can see that. You're smiling to me now, but I can see every time you think and you talk, you talk with purpose, and that's a good sign. It's a good sign that you have focus and determination. Yeah, man. We've got to shift culture, and, and, and um, not a lot of people's doing it in, in where I'm from, so we have to shift culture. They need more role models. They need um, the, the, the youth. They need um, to look up to people and be like, look, that guy's a rapper, that guy's a footballer, that guy's a boxer and bouncer. He done this long away and he's a businessman and he's doing this. And do you know what I mean? If he can do it, I can do it. And we need to um, be putting that message out to our youth in it. And the youth, that's what comes first, to be honest, because that's the future generation in it to shift culture. And do you know what? The, the true thing is some people, they, they see us. You know, I'm, I, I see myself as a presenter, as a journalist, but also someone's been at the gym. But they, the young kids, they see us at a distance. They think we're unapproachable, you know, like we're some kind of alien in some kind of high world where we're unapproachable. And I'm always saying to people, just reach out. It just takes a message. I, I, you, you know, don't feel that you're tucked up in your little bedroom somewhere in the world, in London or outside of London, and these people are just these kind of images on Instagram or, or on television or in social media that we are just like they are and once were just like them sitting in our bedrooms doing the same thing in some way. For me, it was the CB, not Instagram, you know, the old copy, copy radio thing. That's how old I am. But listen, keep doing what you're doing, brother, and 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 good luck with, with, with your aspirations. You're already a success because the moment you turned your life around from prison and criminality to a successful businessman, whether you make a pound, a million pound or 10 million pound, the fact that you've you've changed your mindset, you're thinking about other people, what other people think about you should care and you shouldn't care about because if it's negative, you dismiss it. If it's positive, well, then that should give you the energy. And I will say this, and, and people often need to know, people tell people, and say things, you know, I, I, I know that word so well, and I grew up in that world. And 
people often say, oh, this person is this person and that person is that person. When they're often that person, you know, you talked about, you know, people dishing you because at one point they were calling you a grass or whatever. Every one of them is a grass in their own mind and in their own behavior. And in my view, there's no such thing as a grass. It's either you tell something or you don't tell something. Uh, it's just such a difficult one. You, you, you know, it's hard to trust people. But when you're sitting in a police station facing a life sentence for something you didn't do, you think differently. Why are you going to end up serving a life sentence for something you didn't do? And it's not because of you or because of somebody else. It's because of the way the police treat people. But look, I'm going down this whole kind of space where I don't really want to go down. And, and, and you know what I mean, Miles. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Good luck with everything that you're doing. Um, if ever you need to reach out, just reach out if I can help in any way, shape or form, brother. Thank you very much. Not allowing your past history to hold you back or better still using your life experiences to help yourself and others should be applauded. The public face of men like Miles is often very different from the inner thoughts like those he's shared on this podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode and please share it with your friends, your family and colleagues. And if you want to follow the show for updates about new episodes, just click on the subscribe. Be a part of this podcast by rating and reviewing what you've heard and tell us what you think. More importantly, tell others what you think by leaving some comments. I'd like for this podcast to be a little bit more interactive where you share your thoughts about what you've heard and I'll share them or at least one or two of them at the end of each episode. For example, Stacey has this to say about an earlier episode. I'm new to podcasts and Raphael's are my first ones and it's really interesting and inspiring stories that will get you gripped. I've just listened to the latest, I was in prison for 36 years, Raymond's story. I'm 36 years old. It's insane to think that Ray has spent my entire life in prison. And then she did these ghost face images and and writes, unbelievable. Thanks, Stacey. I appreciate your, your feedback and listening. This comment was left by Jono. It's great to get a true account of how all the people interviewed take their second chance in life, having been put through or gone through something very difficult and challenging to most. A great listen and great interviews. Three emojis of clapping hands. Thanks, Jono. So you get my drift. Leave a message and I'll read out your comments, or at least some of your comments. I appreciate that you find these interviews inspirational and insightful. Thanks again. This is an independent podcast, meaning we are doing this out of passion, not pay. But we do need support to pay for the production. So please, if you want to make a small donation, click on the support link in the description at the end. If you want to advertise your products or services on this show, please get in touch. And if you want to connect, drop me a direct message via Instagram, Twitter, Facebook or any other means you have to make contact. Audio editing is by Audio Avalanche. The original music is by J-Row Productions. The cover design work is by Studio Minerva. Our guest bookers are Sophie Warner and Lewis Hunt. This episode was produced by me, your host, Raphael Rowe.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.